was really kind of in a 50-50 state. Um, what I would definitely say uh, right now is that the jury is still out on what this has really done. This is something that we will be able to see the effect of in a few years' time, mm-hmm. you know? And this is something that Bungie is going to have to keep its players kind of updated about um, in terms of what this means for how they change their business and things. So, yeah, it's an interesting place to be. Um, I'd say there's definitely some good that's come out of it. And as for the rest, we'll see what happens then. Welcome, everybody, to the Casually Hardcore Podcast. My name is Brian, and this is episode 43. I'm very happy to welcome. My name is Bife to the program, uh, a.k.a. the lore daddy of Destiny 2. And who knows what else? You've posted some lore videos for other other video games. We'll talk about that as well. Um, if you haven't heard of Bife and you haven't seen him, I'm very pleased to introduce you uh, to him. If you are returning or checking out Destiny 2 New Light, this is the guy you want to go to. This is the source of the story and the lore. And we're gonna talk about that here in this uh, podcast. So if you are story uh, story spoiler sensitive in that regards, maybe flag this for another day uh, and come back and check it out. If you're not, and you're not too worried, we're gonna dive into it and we're gonna be talking about it all the way up through Shadowkeep, which I was finally able to finish last night. I don't, I didn't share this in the pre-show, but uh, I, I, got, I got blocked because I thought I had to get a, a machine gun having returned this summer. And it turns out I didn't need to do that. People in the in the comments were like, "You don't need to do that, Brian." And I fixed, I finished it last night, so I was very, very thrilled, especially before the podcast today. But Brian, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to those who might not have heard of you? Uh, how long you've been doing YouTube? Uh, what do you like about content creation? Uh, floor's yours. So um, I have been in the space of YouTube for about nine years. I've actually been doing it for eight. Six of those years have been professional. Um, I started technically uh back in 2013 i believe is when i was first partnered um and since then i've been covering destiny and its world and i used to start with news and eventually i shifted my focus to telling the story of the game uh in the process of the eight years that i've been doing this i've gained 725,000 odd subscribers so that's done really well um and yeah uh you can primarily find me on youtube.com slash my name is by so yeah, the whole thing is just that. I uh, I mainly will just walk people through the story as best I can, and uh, I hope that I'm a useful resource to people. That's primarily what I'm out here to do, is just be someone where you can sit there and gain a little knowledge, hear a story be told. I've always, uh, I was always appreciated just the way that you pronounce words, because it's like, for me, I am dyslexic and struggle greatly. And our community knows this about myself. And so it's always, when somebody new comes in, they at least know that like, yep, I might misstate something, but I, so, I've, I've learned a lot from you. I have learned I, a lot I, from I you. I gotta tell you this, uh, I'm right there with you on the dyslexic side of things. And there is at least a solid portion of every video that I go through where if ever there is a word which I do not know how to pronounce, I will literally just take five minutes in my script. If ever I've, you know, got part of a card that I need to read, I will look through something and I will learn a new pronunciation. And so, 
I'm saying things correctly. You won't hear any, you won't hear epoch out of me. It'll be epoch as it's correctly supposed to be said, you know, like. So how do you, how do you train your brain on that regards? Because like for me, especially in the Final Fantasy universe, I have misstated things for years. I used to, like the joke is I used to call uh, chocobos chabobos. And because for whatever reason, my, I know, I know, my eyes saw another B. And it was, and it, it literally was until they actually went to voice. Like when all, Final Fantasy X, I was like, oh, holy crap. Like I was like, I'm able to hear it. And so I have to like train it's these that, bad processes out. Too. I use anything audible is what's really good, which is why whenever I'm looking up the pronunciation, I don't look at the bit where it says letters in order to tell you how to pronounce it. I just get a I get a YouTube video where it pronounces the word, you know. And I'll, I'll sit there and I'll be like, okay, close your eyes, listen to the sounds, you know, picture the word as you need it to, and then just yeah, move on from there. It's, cool. it's for me, it's all about using your other senses to learn things. I need to uh, I need to absolutely adopt that. I think uh, I think I might blow my community away. <laughs> like he said it correctly, consistently in the same video. Sometimes I'm like. I think it might be pronounced one of two ways. I'm gonna just I mean, do you know, both. It's it's not to say that anyone's perfect. Like yeah. you know, I, uh, I I sit there and every single time here or there, there's something that I'll get wrong. But more often than not, nowadays it's stuff from uh, other cultures that I just didn't know was pronounced in that way. So you know, um, the Takanome uh, Rangers. Uh, I I hope that's correct because otherwise I've just bungled my entire point. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Takanome is if you pronounced it in an English way would be Takanome um but yeah it's it's not said like that at all and i actually had a viewer who i believe either knew of or had uh japanese heritage and they actually educated me on that in the comments section i actually replied being like hey thank you very much i did not know this i will make sure that i don't make a mistake like that in the future and next video when they happen to come up i was like hey by the way this is how you say it now you know so it, it happened literally it's for everyone like this is just hiccups you know <laughs> we so all make mistakes oh yeah absolutely um so guys if you guys haven't uh, seen all of our mistakes uh we've got plenty of them posted on youtube but i'll include all in this video when it goes up on youtube as well as all the descriptions for everywhere you can find us spotify itunes google play soundcloud etc etc in the description below so you can go follow uh by both on twitter on youtube and i saw that you also have a twitch channel so we have the link for that as well so we'll be sure to, to send people your way so they can check out your content uh also again if you guys uh, check out our podcast in audio form be sure to leave us a review let us know what you think about the show helps us out uh and more last week we had tiny blue games uh talking about final fantasy 14 mmorpgs and obviously the boycott blizzard uh, issue that just blew up recently and I can't be happier that Activision Blizzard no longer is connected to, <laughs> to Bungie. Yeah, we dodged a bullet. <laughs> Ma massively. We still we still have some Chinese investors with NetEase, but yeah. I'm not too worried about that today. Uh, <laughs> and then um, next week we have Comic Storian coming back on. going to be talking about uh, Patch 5.1. We assume it's going to be out for Final Fantasy 14. Otherwise, we'll be talking about hype for 5.1 because we've got some news. <laughs> Otherwise, we've got news to talk about with Final Fantasy 14 as well. So lots of really fun stuff coming up uh, this uh, this month on the show. And then Chris and I are actually going to be out at BlizzCon if it's still going on here uh, in a couple weeks. Someone's like, you're still going? I'm like, we bought the... Through the picket lines. <laughs> okay. Somebody's like, you're still going? I was like, we, we bought the tickets. We bought the flights. We bought. We paid for the hotel. Like, everything's Hold paid on, for. 
<laughs> all the like I, I didn't get the expensive flights that say you can get a refund uh and so it's like all right yeah i'm gonna be out there i'm gonna i'm gonna see if i can get a winnie pooh shirt or something like that i'm gonna <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm big enough like i just need to get the red shirt and just walk around with some honey you know like that'd be great come get a picture <laughs> but anyway we're gonna have some fun oh we'll see if it goes on we have no idea he's not let in i don't know him <laughs> well just go find out <laughs> tell me about diablo 4 and if it doesn't suck um, so beyond that, we also want to thank our partnership with Shadow PC. We've been doing all our gaming in the cloud since the summer. It's been really awesome. We have a, a code uh, to work for uh, $10 off. You can, uh, you can check it out. Link will be in the description below. We also want to thank our channel members and Patreons, Kenneth, Leland, George, and Kyle. Thank you guys for the support making podcasts like this possible. That's why this exists. With all the business concluded, Let's have some fun. Let's talk about some video games because honestly, I think Destiny is the best that it's been and I've been very, very critical of it. I quit and I'm very happy I quit and I'm very happy with the trajectory that Destiny has taken since that point. I've put thousands of hours in Destiny 1. According to uh, Xbox the other day, I think I'm at 200 hours on Destiny 2. So I've still got a while to get caught up and plenty of content to do. But as far as the franchise goes, because we've all like shared our journeys before, um, you've been covering it for a long time, Vive. There have been yeah. ups and downs. We've all been on oh, this gosh. roller coaster with this with this game. And I'd like you, if you can, walk us through some of the high highlights uh, for you, some high moments. If you want to, you can talk about low moments, or we can just keep this thing freaking rocking positive. I don't care. I'm going to let you decide what you want to talk about. Um, Vive, like, wow, man, it's been five years. This is nuts. Yeah, I mean, we're starting year six, technically, which is what's crazy. So by the time come next year, you know, we will be entering that point at which Destiny is really coming into its own. I think the entire, I, th I think Destiny's life now talks about a cycle and a cycle that hopefully by next year will be broken. You see, the way that Destiny 1 worked over its three year cycle was it released in a state that wasn't brilliant. And the first year was all about building it to a place where it was a viable game in terms of maintaining an audience, in terms of just providing people with something that was a quality product that they could continue to come back to, you know? It was the invention of things like Infusion and the story of the Taken King and creating all of this new lore that people could jump into and enjoy and improving the Crucible with Trials of Osiris, things like that that really defined Destiny 1's cycle. And by the time that Rise of Iron launched, yeah, it was smaller, but people knew that Destiny 2 would be around the corner. So everyone was very willing to accept that. And by the end of the life cycle of the game, it felt... I'd happily call it complete, you know? Um, the launch of Destiny 2, uh, much to the dismay of many of the fans, reset that cycle. And so it started out again, and I wonder, actually, if this was the point at which you quit, because I wouldn't be surprised. I'll let you it. guess when I quit, but please. I'm uh, sure you're going to get it. Curse of Osiris? That's correct. All right, that doesn't surprise me whatsoever. It hurt. Like, it hurt yeah, because... it did. Anyway. It was like we'd been led around in a circle, you know? Well, and, it's, and it's and, and by somebody who kept saying that they're listening and then it's like are you to whom you know mm -hmm. and then we've always said like how do you listen to millions of people you know it's like at some point like you're gonna quant try to quantify it but continue please i'm because you stuck with it and i really appreciate that because <laughs> yeah uh, the whole the whole time for curse of osiris was unquestionably um one of destiny's lowest points i don't think there's ever been a darker moment in destiny's history than um uh, poor Deej on stream saying this is the most rewarding public event ever and then being, you know, blindsided by the game which gives him two tokens and a blue. And it's just, you know, 
all credit to him, he absolutely does a stellar job, and that's nothing to do with his fault on that particular one. But it's just like moments like that have uh, a certain history and destiny ingrained in them because it's this painful moment where you know, with no fault of his own, he's made to he's been made to sound like he's tone deaf there, you know. And mm-hmm. you've got to understand as well as someone who is the communications manager of Bungie and who was previously the community manager, which is now passed on to um, Cosmo, like, they are not, they are in this position where they are certainly not ignorant of anything that's going on at any one moment in time, you know? It is definitely going on, it's just merely the fact that it's a game that is really hard to create. And I don't want to go ahead and say this thing of woe is to Bungie, but it's one of these things of people don't understand the scale of creating a video game, I don't think. So, oh, they don't. My, I'm a software engineer and I do game dev on the side occasionally. And it's yeah. like, it, it does bite me because sometimes that's where, like in a, in a game that you did some lore for, Anthem, that's where like, even with Destiny, that's where in these games that I can see threads, I'm like, oh my gosh, if they spent 12 months, they could really flesh this out or they could do this yeah. and they could go in these directions. So it, I tend to also, I, I tend to lean into the the possibilities and this has worked out for me and and it hasn't final fantasy 14 it worked out for me ultimately uh and then with anthem it absolutely did not (laughs) and i mean you know that's just a part of destiny's journey you know for every low moment where we have something that is really sad um you know uh, and it's one of those moments where people will remember it being low we have something that's really incredible now you know we have i think some of the best examples are probably going to be the reveal of Forsaken and this series of like the content roadmap, right? Mm-hmm. Like the content roadmap for me, it was the sounding moment where I could sit there and say like, hey, you know, Bungie, in spite of all the challenges that they had to overcome, they've done this here, they've done something, right? So you look at what Luke Smith posted uh, at the end of Destiny 1, uh, sorry, Destiny 2 Season 1, uh, just as we were going into Curse of Osiris, and you suddenly compared that to the roadmap of content that was, you know, um, released just before Forsaken, and saying, hey, this is what we're doing, this is where we're going, and then also to see them deliver on everything there. That's almost one of those... to their... Dis- like, almost th- to the T. A... Like, the Crucible well, stuff got missed, but... To a T, but also to the, like, a risk of their health and their well-being, and Luke Smith talked yeah. about just the just the stress like that's on Mm -hmm. and but then you also see that passion bleed into the game so obviously a curse of osiris being a very dark point what were some of the highlights because one of the debates that we can rate we can settle here definitively (laughs) he said sarcastically um uh taken king or, or forsaken like what is the better representation of destiny as a franchise shadow keep seriously yes and I say this not just because of the vision that Bungie pushes forward now, but also because of all the changes that we've already seen. Yeah, we don't have things like vendor resets. Yeah, this expansion is smaller than Forsaken with only one new zone as opposed to two. But at the end of the day, Forsaken was about launching the game back into a place where it was doing well. Shadowkeep is about the next step forward, I think. And that is where that is why I sit here and I say definitively, of any version of Destiny that has ever existed or does currently exist, this one right now is the best that we have. This is the best time to be a player. Not just from, 
you know, a systems perspective either. I sit there from a narrative perspective and say, I have never felt like it's a more important time to be playing Destiny. I've never felt like there is a better time to be invested. You know, like, definitively speaking, this is the biggest chapter in Destiny's history. Now, no I, I did catch you off with that kind of that question, though, from your kind of highest and lowest points. Are you are you stating that, like, actually uh, with Shadowkeep, that it is one of the, the highest points uh, in your journey? I'd, so, I'd say absolutely it is. What, what what stands out, though? Like, because when I look at Destiny, and I'm also, I want Chris to jump in because he's somebody who is still, he's playing it, but it's like, like, does he really get, like want to invest in, in, and jump into it? I, I've felt, and, and let me know if I'm anywhere in the ballpark, but that Destiny 2 has been a journey to get Destiny 1 content back into it. We've got the moon. We've got, like, so much of it. Like, with, we have Mars. Like, all of the stuff that we lost when we went from Destiny 1 to Destiny 2. Ultimately, like, what would you say is still missing that you would that you want to see brought in? I think, if I may challenge the question in the first place, I think that's fundamentally wrong way to look at it okay because destiny one and destiny two yes they are the same franchise but i think you can't look to the past all the time yes it's nice to have classic locations coming back yes it's nice to have old exotics returning from time to time but this is a universe that's moving forward you know mm -hmm. like the reason why i think the moon is fantastic is not just as a sounding board for old stuff but also because they've used it as a vehicle i don't know if we're discussing spoilers but they've oh, used yeah. it as a the narrative forward mm -hmm. with all the new stuff you discover there right like the moon is an old backdrop that gives you context but it is set in there partly i think for the contrast of everything new and with the realization of hey the story is going in this direction where we've actually discovered the darkness you know yeah I, I think it is fundamentally wrong to look back to the past and to say well this is what we had and this is what we're missing from the game right now. Those two those two games, yes, they're part of the same franchise, and yes, they have the same bones, but they're still two fundamentally different animals. And I think that at this current state in time, looking backwards to what we had in something like, say, Rise of Iron, is still somewhat of a mistake. Like, it's gotta be a case of moving forward. And it's not to say that there aren't things that you can implement from the old games that, you know, could be good in today's era, but it's very much one of these things of saying, the best days are ahead of us not behind us you know like this this is very much one of those moments where we've got to look back and acknowledge what was good but more importantly look forward to what we can build that's new you know i and love I, that I, and i love that thought i feel like that's kind of where destiny is right now and that's why i say that shadowkeep is the biggest hype because you know it, it's all these things such as armor 2.0 such as all of the new um content that we're getting with all of the narrative stuff i mean it's really it's really well, they're rolling it out over the season you know so yeah. you've got the season of, of the undying right now and i've been really loving your videos that you kind of dive into the the different books the just the connection into like philosophy and and it's it's eerie it's very in a way eerie because mm -hmm. it leaves me going who the hell do i trust what yeah. do i trust my gut do i trust my ears do i trust I my eyes Right. And at the end of the day, when you sit there and you're asking questions about a narrative or any kind of moral conundrum or any story that poses that to you, isn't that ultimately the goal is to make you sit there and ask questions of yourself? Like the eerie kind of feeling and thought that you have at this moment in time, too, I think is entirely the intention. And I think that if that is the case, it is masterfully done because this entire season is all about starting to establish this point of saying the world is bigger than you think it is and you are in trouble you know mm -hmm. and it establishes that from the very first mission of the campaign 
where you sit there and you turn the corner and you see a pyramid ship you know <laughs> it was very yeah. interesting because then it's no, like are they did, here or expect that? Did, yeah. did, was any yeah because because yeah realistically you turn around and then everything suddenly hits you and it's like oh and your brain begins to race a million miles a minute and you think I'm not ready for that. I was ex this is this is Destiny Three level stuff. This is like Final Boss. Oh God. Okay. It's here. Okay. All right. We're going now. You know. And suddenly everything is just that much more serious. Mm -hmm. uh, you know. Longer did, story. Did you feel this invested in in the lore of Destiny One? Me? Sorry. Yeah. Did you feel this invested in the lore? Like, did you feel? I, I felt Destiny One was much lighter on lore than Destiny Two. I'd like, say it contains some yeah, classics, but I can definitely agree that it was lighter because nowadays you have so much more that's coming out of the narrative team. What I will say is that I was invested in Destiny 1's lore for sure. It's not to say that I was uninterested in it. Um, what I will say now is that if you are a lore fan, there is more than there used to be. And I think that's partly because of the lessons that the studio has learned. And that's also partly because of the fact that they know that there are people who really dig this stuff, you know? So back in the day when Seth Dickinson, you know, wrote the Books of Sorrow and everyone got to read those for the first time, those moments will still be those resounding points at which everybody gets to sit there and say like, hey, this is one of the best things that we've seen in Destiny's lore. The difference is now we get to see more things like that. You know, we've got the Unveiling lore book. We've got Aspect, which is one of the craziest, most interesting, weirdest looks into the Vex we've ever had. And it is possibly one of the more important lore books for this entire expansion set. You've got all of the smaller stories, like Eris sending letters to people. You've got the Inquisition of the Damned, which is a lore book all about the Hive on the Moon and Crota's progeny, just as um, everything is starting to settle down. And just as everything is, you know, I think this is actually supposed to be set before Shadowkeep and everything. So. Yeah, it's kind of the story of the evolution of the Hidden Swarm. And all of these things are fantastic, you know? And you have all of these great moments now. Sure, some of them don't immediately well up to everyone's crazy expectations of things like the Books of Sorrow, but we have so much more of it. It's expansive and it's vast. And it's all wonderful. It's really good. So I want to get your opinion, and before we kind of dive into just a lot of the questions that we have for you, is that you talk about uh, Destiny 2 as a, uh, as a forward momentum, and it's about looking forward. From a narrative perspective, from a gameplay perspective, what does that actually, like, how does that translate to you? How do we get to the next uh, chapter? Uh, you know, Luke Smith laid out that he's, they've got a five-year plan. And whether that includes a, an actual Destiny 3 or some other evolution of the game uh, to this action MMO that they have stated that it is, you know, it's like, what does that look for you? Like, how do we, because when you look at Destiny 1 to Destiny 2, it is that chapter, right? Like, that story happened. This is the story as it evolves now. You can still go and experience that Destiny 1 story. You can go to experience the Destiny 2 story. You know, like how how do we transition f uh, forward? Is that uh, what, what what does that look to you from a from a lore and a narrative perspective? Is that some kind of massive event? Is that something that I, the darkness is teasing about our salvation? I think that it is a massive event, and the thing that everybody keeps on talking about is, or at least at the end of the campaign of Destiny Two, what everyone talked about was that this was a new golden age. Right, and that everyone was existing in this time where all of a sudden enlightenment was upon us once again, and we had a chance to really reestablish ourselves. 
the thing about that is the golden age is always followed by the collapse and lo and behold ikora now talks about well if you stand next to ikora in the tower it now talks about you know this moment of um it's not a question of whether the collapse is coming or not it's a question of if so if you want my crazy spinfoil theory that's backed up by nothing that's concrete enough to actually confirm i think we lose the city i think the traveler gets um like untethered from its position over earth and i think we follow it around as a fleet and our new tower so to speak is on the deck of a command ship that's my prediction and my prediction is then that the entirety of the war of the darkness is about reclaiming our old worlds and it's about reclaiming the city and it's about taking a moment to sit back and acknowledge not only the fragility of mankind but also the resilience of it you know plus i think that's the next logical step in terms of the feel of destiny as a universe you know take a look at battlestar galactica mm-hmm. right there is a fundamentally like visceral feel to that universe at least the 2004 um one and you have that moment whenever you watch an episode of BSG where you feel grounded and it feels real. And where you sit there and you feel as though you're watching the parts of a greater machine turning. When you see Adama in his office, you understand that this is the pinnacle of command. And this is, you know, the retreat that he has from the central deck of Galactica where everything is chaos. And when you see, you know, um, Starbuck and Apollo outside of the flight briefing deck, and when they're in the officer's quarters or something, they're playing cards. It, it feels as though this thing is alive, like the entirety of the fleet. And I feel like that's the next step, because not only have we not ever seen the people down in the city below, and, you know, actually had a chance to interact with them, but also we've constantly had this notion that we are all-powerful being thrown at us, and now there is something that genuinely has a chance to challenge that. And so this is the ultimate next step that we have to take. We have to have something come up to us and make us prove that we really are as powerful as we think we are so that for me is what i think would happen next i can't confirm any of that like there's nothing that in any concrete manner says this is what will happen it's what i hope would happen and in addition to it fleshes out like the entirety of the side of the city that we've never seen or at least the forces of the city you know like dead orbit has a fleet the city has ships at its command it has frames and even in the first mission of Shadowkeep, you start to see that, you know, really appear. You see a true battlefield that's taking place right before your eyes with city frames that can actually, like, kill the wizards that are attacking you and gunships overhead that will deal proper damage to enemies and blueberries in your party that now feel like they're actually part of this just ramshackle, suddenly called to action guardian force that's been sent to quickly respond to things. That's the... that feeling of being part of something way bigger in a very visceral sense is what I really want them to double down on. And that's, I think, what they'll get to when they move on to their next big chapter. Which, that's that's the yeah. first thing I notice about when you step on the moon, that, that just that massive amount of chaos, lots of people running around, all working towards that that progress of getting back on onto the moon did you uh did you see the meme though that was really kind of dealing with like zavala and uh talking about like forsaken and then uh and then uh, shadow keep essentially alluding to the fact like well you know Cade's dead uh we're gonna you know we can't help and then it's like moon's haunted everybody assemble <laughs> like we're gonna go get the moon back um i just i, I appreciated some of the notes I, I thought that meme was funny and then i appreciated some of the the notes 
in which that the guardians they were monitoring the moons and the moon situation they were like yeah we saw them uh you know building the tower and doing these other things and we were just kind of from afar wondering you know looking at it and now it becomes a priority in which that we have to have that kind of that global response um, yeah and i mean you see for that that for me as well as the difference right like the way that you look at the theming of Forsaken and its villains, mm -hmm. the Tangled Shore, Thieves Landing, uh, the Barons of the Scorn, they're all outlaws. And effectively, this is the dim difference between fighting against a band of what are effectively petty criminals in a space that is not the city's jurisdiction, which is, you know, technically under the control of the Awoken, where we have not en masse been invited until a law card that arrives later um down the line within forsaken itself you know at that point it's not about our fight mm -hmm. and whilst it's very much a personal one whilst we go out to the tangled shore and actually start killing barons left right and center i very much understand the response there the moon is very different though and i feel like it's also kind of for the sake of the narrative it's almost fitting that it happens because here's the thing this is not the first time this is he's done this you know this isn't the first time that an army of guardians marched on the moon and said, hey, let's establish a zone where we can control things. And then all of a sudden we encounter a force that we are really not prepared to fight. Right. You know? The last time that happened, it was literally called the Great Disaster. And the only reason why it's not been called the Great Disaster this time is because that disaster is probably a can that we've kicked down the road. You know, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> very much meant to call back to the history of Destiny's um, Vanguard's decisions over reclaiming the moon, over all the different times in the city where we have seen Guardians believe they're powerful enough and then they've quite decidedly been proven wrong. So, yeah, I, I completely understand what you're saying there, but from a narrative standpoint, there is actually a really good reason and a good theme behind actually making this huge response. So, yeah. It was fun so, to participate in. Go ahead, Chris. You say from a narrative standpoint, so to pivot just a little bit, one of the big stark differences between Destiny 1 and Destiny 2 is just that the entire gaming landscape has shifted over that time. And we talk about the prevalence of like Mixer, Twitch, YouTube, and just gaming as a whole is much more pronounced with every year that goes on. So with that you have almost this secondary force and we see it used for good and for for <laughs> against developers where the the content creators now seem to have an effect on what a community becomes so does that content creation and that kind of earned media somebody like you that can really dive into the lore and explain things so far beyond a cutscene in a game does that give the narrative team more power to tell a comprehensive story or do you think they could do it regardless it's a bit of both it's a bit of um so let me give you an idea of what really comes down to this i'm going to give you an idea through a uh, a couple of examples i want to go ahead and state that in some senses it probably helps them and in some senses it really does not so how could it possibly help them? Well, you have more eyes on a topic and you have more people that can express a common interest. And that gives them the ideas of what narrative threads they might want to tug on. You know, like the options are all there, but there might be some that they think would be really exciting, but they're not sure. And then all of a sudden, when you see this massive upswell of love and support for a particular narrative thread, you have way more confidence to pull on it and say, hey, this is how things are going to unravel. Problem then becomes that zealotry in itself. And I want to go ahead and 
give you the best example, which undoubtedly comes from Warmite, right? Mm -hmm. We, as a law community, and I am very much guilty of this as well, had a misconception about what was going on with Rasputin. And we believed that Rasputin was one of the Warmites. Turns out he's only there's only one war mind and it is Rasputin, that everything else that was previously mentioned was submines. And they actually explained this in the law, and lots of people were very angry that that, mis that you know preconceived notion was challenged, and that becomes really difficult for the narrative team. Let me give you another example that I myself have fed and made worse, which is this idea of the Deepstone Crypt, right? So at a certain point in time, I made a video which was talking about the Deepstone Crypt and how Cade talks about people from Clovis Gray and how he at a certain later point gives Petra a note saying it's on Enceladus. Now he is not necessarily referring to the Deepstone Crypt when he says that, right? Like there is no proof that those two sentences are connected, but they're said very close in proximity to each other with regards to the actual voice lines. So that's where I ended up getting my own misinformed knowledge with regards to that. Undoubtedly, I have then potentially pigeonholed the narrative team into something there. So it's one of these things of you need to be really careful with regards to what you say. Uh, and I won't lie, that terrifies the heck out of me. I tear my hair out over stuff like this because at the end of the day, whenever I make a simple gaffe like that, and then hundreds of thousands of people are led to believe something, if it turns out that's wrong, all of a sudden, I have inadvertently caused a bunch of people to send harassment and hate to a developer. And that's horrifying. That really is terrifying. By how, that how, do you, uh, how do you manage that within the community? But you were going to finish your thought, go ahead. Yeah, you know, by that same token, this is my job now. And the only way I get to keep on moving forward with it is be more responsible. And this kind of feeds into what you're asking next is, how do I manage that? Um, in terms of doing things from the community, nowadays my entire go-to line with all of this stuff is basically enforcing what isn't isn't speculation and also trying to give people the platform for freely thinking about it themselves, you know? And saying like, hey, these are possibilities, but these particular ones over here aren't confirmed. But what are your thoughts? And leaving the field as open as possible, you know? I have to be more vague and much less you know, conclusive about things because Lord knows I don't want to be sitting there with this thing of, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't want to cause harm for people that are already doing one of the hardest jobs I can think of. So yeah, man, that's, it's terrifying. Uh, to answer that original question, yeah, uh, bad things can happen and managing that responsibility is really, really true. Does content creation give uh, like the developers, uh, even outside of lore, uh, a free pass to not uh, put this more of the stuff in the game. Um, I think uh, Destiny 2 has done a better job of putting lore in, into the game itself. But what I mean, uh, at least where we see it a lot, is that oh, guys in, in someone else makes up the difference, right? Where it's right. not like, oh, the, we're just gonna we're just gonna let the content community clarify this. We're gonna you know we'll work with them, we'll manage it, but we're not gonna actually bake it into the game. Like it's a part of the thing. It's not gonna be going anyway uh, anytime soon. But that's a that's a common question that we actually hear is that oh, there's they're not going to put X in the game because somebody on YouTube is going to go ahead and do it. So yes and no. Um, I think that content creators, no matter what side of things they're doing, whether it's law or guides or PvP, should always be an auxiliary to the game itself. And it's one of my things that I will 
always chat about. Um, and to give you an idea of what I think the narrative team could do a little better uh, is actually introducing the basics. So take a look at something such as, say, um, Angry Joe's review of Destiny 2, which, you know, I'll go ahead and openly say that I think there are a few mistakes and a few flaws in there and a few misunderstandings, which is fine. Like, nobody's perfect, and I say that as a law guy who's literally able to nitpick anybody, so whatever. But one of the things that he absolutely nails home is a point at which um, Rasputin is mentioned, and then he goes, who the hell's Rasputin? Because yeah. he doesn't remember from Destiny 1, he doesn't know, <laughs> you know? And Destiny 2, all over, doesn't have any moment at which it actually sits down and explains that up until the Warmind expansion. That's, you know, that's eight months down the road. He's not there for that, he's not staying around. Not everybody is gonna be here still. So what I think is necessary in some instances are proper ways of explaining the basics, you know? Like, this isn't just a way of saying this is a tutorial and you need to get mm -hmm. um, somebody educated on how to pull the trigger in a first-person shooter. What it is saying is that for every single side of the game, you need to have that baseline of knowledge available for everyone. And it really reflects strongly in the narrative, which is why, um, you know, one of my biggest hopes is that at some point, whenever they make an addition to New Light, uh, they'll just go ahead and they'll add uh, a whole bunch of new books that basically give people um, who have no idea what's going on in Destiny this really easy, accessible surface level of knowledge. So it can be really simple things like a two-paragraph, like barely 12-line long law book with every page, sorry, not law book, a law page for each character, right? Mm -hmm. That just gives you a little bit of information on them lets you understand what they are and where they are in the world. And I understand that there's a lot of those topics, but something like this is of absolute utmost value to players because at the end of the day, Destiny does have a lot of esoteric stuff, you know? Um, when I sit there and I use some kind of common terminology saying like, oh God, there's a Vex sacrificing at that conflux, go kill it. Like half of the words in that sentence don't make sense to someone who's just jumped into Destiny. You may not know what the Vex are, you have no idea what a Conflux looks like, you don't understand what you mean by saying they're sacrificing, you know? Like, the more understandable thing for me to say there is, oh god, the robot thing is disappearing at the tower, go shoot it, you know? Like, <laughs> we have weird terminology here, and it's way easier for people to go ahead and understand that if they all have a baseline of knowledge. And it sounds like I'm tailoring to people who aren't hobbyists, but that's the big problem that I think Destiny has right now, which is that when you are starting this, we have so much phenomenal, phenomenal depth that you can get into, but the base knowledge you need to understand some of it, or at least to start picking away at things, isn't necessarily there. And yeah, it's fine to have stuff that's deeply referential of old stuff. So when, you know, at the end of the Aspect Law book, it mentions like a reference to a sentence or something, or it talks about Pradith during a few of the entries, or it talks about the four Ishtar researchers, which sent out 227 copies of their team into the Vex networks. Like, it's amazing to reference all of that stuff. But if you don't have a base idea of what the Vex are in the first place, you've got a problem. So okay. that's, you know, basically all I'd say is keep doing the really deep stuff. But yeah, try and establish that baseline of knowledge. You know? They've come a long way. Uh, you know, because like when you go from the, oh, uh, the Grimoire yeah. cards to not, the lore wasn't even in game, you have to go to a website. And I was always like, man, I would I would absolutely spend time in loading screens 
reading these cards and not on <laughs> the website if, if they gave me that ability and they then they did you know so one of the things that I think is very clear and so I want to talk uh, a little bit about the the Bungie Activision split because when when you guessed correctly I left with Curse of Osiris what brought me back wasn't actually when they announced that but that actually had me perk up my ears and say come again like okay mm -hmm. this could be really good or really bad because, like, regardless of, like, everybody's love-hate relationship with Activision Blizzard as a company, they got the money. And it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, you, you're sitting here like, are you cutting off, you know, the source? And is that going to starve the game? You know, are, are players willing to help support the game financially? But then over the course of this summer, and I actually returned to this summer specifically, they start really just communicating. And I don't, like, you talked about Deej and the hard job that they've, they've, the the, um, the community team does and it's like honestly I felt like they had their shackles taken off I felt like we are seeing a whole different side of Bungie a Bungie that we've seen in the past and that we always kind of wish were there and then we actually probably knew were there but they're not inhibited by somebody telling them they can't call this an MMO they can't say that they can't they can't truly listen to what the the player base is wanting and so over the course of this summer that's essentially where I started seeing um, what I've always believed Destiny could be. So my question to you is that, like, where do you sit now? Um, it's been, I think, six months since they announced the Activision split. Obviously, this is the, the start of that, like, because uh, it's no longer in the Blizzard store. It's no longer, you know, they've got that full separation. It's now. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how are you feeling regarding that, that separation um, six months in? And then uh, talk to me also about, like, what you thought when you first heard that news. Uh, and then how, how did, like, how, how's that led up to this point now? Um, so I think the first thing that's really worth saying is that anything I give is my perspective and clearly is a commentary on some kind of inner workings at Bungie. Like people seem to think that content creators somehow have this insight and that we know everything about Bungie. Like, let's be really clear. No, that's not, that's not the case. Like I sit here and I'm relatively speaking ignorant of what goes on at Bungie. So Whatever I say is not necessarily going to correlate with what's happened. What I will also say is, um, as far as what I feel at first, there was both a little bit of relief and a little bit of apprehension. Because a publisher gives you a lot of support, as a lot of game developers will be able to tell you. And so the fact that Bungie had decided to self-publish was a really interesting kind of, like, it was a huge shift, right? And honestly, from that moment, the way that Bungie seemed to communicate felt different. And mm -hmm. I don't know if there's correlation to causation here, but yeah, it felt like the community team was able to open up a lot more about things. Um, again, I can't say that as correlation and causation. I right. really don't know if that's the case. Uh, it could simply be the mood of the studio was different and that they were feeling more confident in communicating now that they were completely in control. It could simply be that it's just my perspective and that's what was going on. Um, as for everything that it led to, I feel that when you actually look at the ways in which Destiny has changed, for the most part, it's been really positive and that split um, can be sort of thanked for some of those changes, you know? Cross save, I think, is one of those really big examples. New Light and going free to play is probably one of those big examples. 
um, the changes to the way that they sell DLC, where you have an a la carte way of buying it. You don't need Forsaken to own Shadowkeep, and you don't need Shadowkeep to own Forsaken and all this other nonsense. That's all really good. And I think those decisions have come directly. Oh, and also, no PS4 um, exclusive anymore. Oh. Those are stuff that was directly tied in with Activision. But, uh, you know, there's other things where I don't know if you can directly correlate things to that. So... I feel I, I feel really good about it at this moment in time. Uh, when it actually came out, I was really kind of in a 50-50 state. Um, what I would definitely say uh, right now is that the jury is still out on what this has really done. This is something that we will be able to see the effect of in a few years' time, mm-hmm. you know? And this is something that Bungie is going to have to keep its players kind of updated about um, in terms of what this means for how they change their business and things. So. Yeah, it's an interesting place to be. Um, I'd say there's definitely some good that's come out of it. And as for the rest, we'll see what happens, man. So from a narrative perspective, uh, and and essentially the a la carte way that people can buy the content now, I think that's definitely, the a la carte is definitely the right way to go. From a narrative perspective, do you you have any concerns or do you feel like there's a risk in breaking up the progress of the story itself? If for some reason I could watch the first movie and then the fourth movie and without any <laughs> any way of like going and, and seeing the second and the third if I choose not to buy those like is there is is it make it dif- do you think more difficult from their perspective to tell like a comprehensive story that actually has weight a reviewer has never seen a Marvel movie before goes in to see Avengers Endgame is it his fault he's not seen all of the others and is confused by all of the stuff yes. Of, yes yes by that same token is it on the movie to somewhat explain some of that stuff along the way yes you know, mm-hmm. when Pepper and Tony sit down and have that conversation about how none of them were lost in the snap, and then Pepper says, we were very lucky. When you have that moment where Hawkeye sees his entire family turn to dust in the snap, you know, those are moments that lend necessary context, but the film is not supposed to be like a massive recap of that. Take Destiny as the best example of that. The stories are all self-contained, and yes, they're all linked, and yes, they're all chronological, but I think if you're going to go ahead and judge things on this, whilst you do need to take a look at Destiny in the long run as something that does provide a base knowledge to everything, if you are jumping into a specific story, you should not necessarily be expected to see the depths of something like, say, Forsaken, right? The base knowledge, yes, it can grow, but those little spikes of everything that give you specifics, something like, say, you know, what specifically happened to Riven of a Thousand Voices and what was her motivation. That's not something where I would expect that to be a part of the base knowledge set. It doesn't have the biggest impact on the world outside of what happens in Forsaken. And I think, uh, therefore, stuff like that, where you can call that cut from the baseline of knowledge that players need. And yeah, if it has an impact on the story, you should probably go ahead and play it in that order. But by that same token, Destiny's stories are separated enough that there is something different in every expansion, you know? You kind of understand what I'm getting with there? Like, they need yeah. they need a baseline of knowledge, right? They need the Avengers Thanos snapped and turned half the people in the universe to dust kind of base knowledge, and they need to demonstrate that. But they don't need to go into the origins of Captain Marvel. They don't need to talk about, you know, um, what's happened in Wakanda now that the Black Panther is no longer there and that their entire royal line is um, just fallen apart. They don't need to talk about um, Tony's like feelings as Iron Man and what his previous struggles with the role have been and his kind of move from someone who really didn't care to someone who was doing things rather selflessly, you know? Like, 
they don't need to go into all of the depth and explanation on all of those things. Now they probably can, but it makes for six makes album. A, yeah, it makes for <laughs> like, and <laughs> might as well just like say, here's the, the, the movie starts at one and we're just going to take you through the whole series. Uh, Chris, yeah, you had a question? Yeah. So as you talk about like baseline knowledge and then other layers on top of that, whether that be secondary or tertiary or, or totally just bonus knowledge that nobody really has to know, but is interesting. How do you use that to prioritize video creation? Ooh, that's a really interesting one. So for some videos that I make, it's very much like an appeal to baseline knowledge and saying, you may need to know this because it's something that is so fundamental that if you don't understand it, uh, we've got problems. Um, best examples, I think, are way back in the launch of Destiny 2, where I took some serious topics that were just baseline important, such as who is Sabathun, you know, who's Rasputin, and going into depth about those. Um, when it comes to other topics, uh, a lot of the time I look to go a little bit deeper. So the baseline of knowledge is something that I'll leave behind in favor of talking about something that's really cool that's happened in recent days. So the best recent example of that is talking about what happened in the cryptoglyph. So if you guys got the Shadowkeep Collector's Edition, you've got a physical cryptoglyph that you could pick up and unlock. And inside that, a bunch of codes, which ultimately gave you like a web page, which you could use to piece together with others who had a similar web page, and it created a message. And those messages turned out to be five different pages of lore. And that lore then gave implications that Oryx is coming back. Now that's all very esoteric, but it's one of these things where if you sit there and you're really into Destiny's lore, and I say something like the Hive are trying to bring Oryx back to life, you're gonna go, oh my God, are you serious? What do you mean? What's going on? So how? You know, it's, it's about, it, realistically, it's about balancing those two. We killed him whenever. in the Shadow Realm. <laughs> right? So like whenever um, I look back at my content, I feel like there is always that notion where I need to try and appeal to what's current whilst also finding a way of giving people base level knowledge. So to give you the best examples recently, I, I made my video, which is four hours long, which and... is just covering the basics as a summary of the whole mm, story. Yeah. I made something which was a tour of the moon, which is, you know, talking through all of the different locations that we got on Shadowkeep uh, and the moon as I'm talking about the lore of what happened there, talking about what happened back in Destiny 1 and giving people a tour so that if they hadn't been there, they would understand. I made a generic video talking about the darkness as like a topic, as a baseline, because this is knowledge that now we all have to learn and all have to cover. I made something which literally talks about the origins of the universe, which, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? So yeah, you know, like it's about appealing to base knowledge, but also after everybody's got that sort of base level, digging down and providing that depth. So. Yeah, man, it informs content creation, but it's not always going to be like the central thrust of a video. It's got to be something that leads to somewhere deeper. If if I gave the um, if I gave the best example of what I'm trying to do, I am not looking to reveal the whole iceberg. What I am trying to do is to show you that there is an iceberg, and then to maybe drill down a little bit into the core of it and show you, hey, this is a little sneak peek at everything that's inside. As for the rest of it, go out and start exploring, you know? 
So you mentioned the uh, four-hour um, massive uh, video, which is fantastic. I've finished half of it. I've watched two hours, and it's something that I like to like. You come back in chunks sometimes because I, I rarely find myself with four hours of uninterrupted time. And I've always, and you did something like this going into Destiny Two. Watched all of that. It always is fun to like learn like what did I miss or what did I not fully understand. But from a content creation perspective, how long did it actually take you to make? that four hour video because I can't even imagine. So um, let's start from the very beginning on that one. Yeah. Because the original idea was something that I started planning about three months prior when I discussed doing uh, the project with uh, Mr. Monkus and discussed what we might want to do on that front. So he then started working on his art portion of it almost immediately because he had something like 15 pieces or so for the video some of which he'd already made from past stuff and just happened to be around really conveniently for some parts of um, some parts of it. So, you know, he has this amazing art piece of Lord Saladin, which was perfect for Rise of Iron because it captures all the theme and the notes of that expansion just in a single image. However, there's other pieces he needed to create from scratch. So that was it um, from his perspective. Then myself and my editor, Captain Tullus, had an entirely different ordeal on our hands. So there was about a month's worth of time that went into the process of raw creation for the video itself. Um, and prior to that, there was about a week worth of time where I was literally just creating videos for a buffer that would give us the time to create the actual video itself. You know, this was stuff where we were uploading content that would then get released a few weeks down the line or maybe a few days later so that we had a steady stream of videos to keep people entertained while we were working on this really big project. The actual script was just under 30,000 words. It was 28,545, I want to say. Um, the actual amount of data that we transferred back and forth from my online drive, uh, which contains all of my Destiny footage ever. We, between the two of us, downloaded about a terabyte worth of footage. Um, you know, the total runtime of the video is three hours and 57 minutes, which translates to about 17 gigabytes of final video. But when you've not compressed all of that down, that's, you know, th that's easily up to like 100 gigs worth of stuff that you're easily putting into each one. And all of this is just yeah, it, it took a long time. The whole process of actually creating that one single video was just about a month. You know, we are looking at 26, 27, 28 days worth of work. So, yeah. And not just to add in the other videos that you <laughs> pre-created so that there would be a steady flow of content so that people wouldn't be like... Yeah, that I don't... That I'm not including in this. That was a whole... That was a whole other week prior to all of this even starting. Like, that was... Yeah part of like that was quote-unquote pre-production i guess but even then that's not really that's less pre-production and more putting things aside so that i could you know work on the rest of it and yeah no, everything was subdivided so yeah um so time is clearly a resource that limits your production as does most people um if yeah. you had unlimited time we're getting to the end here so we have three questions that we try to to ask people they're kind of themed around time, power, and budget. So the first one is, if you had unlimited time, you could make videos, play any game you wanted about any subject, what are like videos and games that you just wish you could get to, but other things keep rising to the top? 
God, that makes me so happy just to think about it. <laughs> I'd go back through all of Destiny, I'd make the most conclusive series of videos possible, and I would get everything truly 100% peer-reviewed by fellow members of the law community, and I would make sure that no matter what I'm putting out there, all the information I'm giving people is perfect, and then I would try and make them all as wonderful as possible. If I had all of the time in the world, uh, I would then <laughs> it's well a lot more and i would spend more time not working because yeah the uh the amount of time that i jump in and spend on these things is is rather large and from time to time that really does run away from me both of the th your answer was both uh i would, would work more and i would, would would not work more with the unlimited time isn't that is, isn't that everything though isn't that exactly how it is right yeah because like, you can't help it it's it's in like i think it's ingrained in, in, in you like to, to create and to do that and then at the same time to also do that and feel rested and uh, not letting it mentally just uh, come <laughs> exhaust you. So if you had the unlimited budget, what feature would you take from any game out there uh, and implant it into Destiny 2? I would... Okay. Hmm. Okay, okay, okay. So I would look straight at Mass Effect and I would say, do that. I would say, take a look at Mass Effect 2 or Mass Effect 3 and implement the city, the last city, as the citadel, as that variant, as that equivalent, let our guardians go down into it and let the entirety of Destiny be interactive and voice active and create this venue by which your guardian makes unique choices and where you get to create those unique moments for yourself, right? Like, when I sit there and I think about interactions that you can have in a city, my thought always goes back to this idea of a noble titan, you know? And one day he sits there and he sees suddenly that there's an orphan child on the side of the street. And he's, you know, he's always been there, but this particular time it's like, well, maybe I should sit there and actually ask what's going on. And you sit there, you hear their story and you hear the, you know, their parents were in the support personnel of the forces of the city or the FOTC, which is the military arm of the city itself. And that they were killed as part of the support forces for the Guardian Army in the Great Disaster. I want you to imagine then going out there and then killing the Dark Blade from back in Destiny 1, Taken King, getting the Dark Blade helm, going back to the child, taking it off and saying, I found the nightmares that killed your parents. This is all that's left. Whenever you sit there and you hear someone telling you about nightmares now, I want you to remember that now I'm their nightmare, that I will always protect you. Can you imagine a moment like that? Because this, this is what Destiny never grasps, right? We sit there and we are guardians of the city. We sit there and we have this moment every single time we kill a hive where we vanquished a monster. But we don't see the impact of that on the people that we're supposed to defend. And it's the one part of Destiny's formula that it's always been missing. We don't see the people we're supposed to be defending. All we see is the loot that we get. And it shouldn't be about that, you know? What, one of the reasons why people listen to my content, one of the reasons that people sit there and say fundamentally that they enjoy my videos is because they see a reason to be in Destiny's world. They see a reason to exist. They see a reason to participate. And that is so much more important than I think anyone realizes. Because when you sit there and you actually see somebody and you see a genuine moment where you've made something better in a tangible sense, that is something that is so important in games, right? 
Mm-hmm. Best, I'll, I'll leave you the best example of this from Mass Effect. Did you guys remember Mass Effect 2's Overlord DLC? So for me, I played Mass Effect 1 and I have not played 2 or 3 and I okay. honestly was debating doing it, but then also hoping that they would remaster it. Do it and buy all the DLC. Right? Okay. I'm going to tell you why and I'm going to spoil you for one Please, day. go ahead. I, I'm, I'm never spoiler sensitive. People tell okay. me, like, tell me the end of the movie. I don't care. I'll still watch it. So Mass Effect 2 has a DLC called Overlord, and I will always remember this as somebody who is slightly on the spectrum. But the Overlord DLC revolves, and it doesn't start with this premise, but it revolves around you saving somebody who has been strapped into a machine by their brother so they can communicate with, uh, and so that they can communicate with and control the Geth, right? And the only reason their brother can do this is that he's autistic and his brain is incredible. And mathematically speaking, He's excellent. And he always goes back to the square root of 13.1, right? And that's just his phrase that he continuously repeats because it's something that puts him in a frame of comfort, um, right? And you save this person from this machine and it's horrifying, you know? You're revealed this person who's just strapped to a machine in, you know, basically it's just spread eagled, almost like Da Vinci's, um, I can't remember Da Vinci's sketch. I know what you're talking about, but, yeah. But man. his eyes are like, wide open he's got tubes going down his mouth and he is clearly in an immense amount of pain right and you end the dlc with that choice of either do you allow the research to continue because of the amazing progress that you know the organization might make towards understanding and maybe even controlling get or do you stop something that is absolutely morally abhorrent at the cost to what is potentially the greater good and i cannot sit there and watch that guy inside that machine filled with tubes so I say, okay, we're shutting this thing down and he's getting sent to uh, an academy for gifted students that the Alliance has run. Mm-hmm. Mass Effect 3 comes along. That academy is under attack by the same organization that set up, that by Cerberus, the same organization that um, you know set up the project Overlord in the first place in Mass Effect 2. And David Archer, the guy that you save, is there. And during the mission, you encounter a group of students who obviously don't know you and they can't trust you immediately. Um, but David is there working on maintaining the shield underneath. And he has his little quirk where he says that line of, you know, um, 30 square, square root of 30. However, what the, he starts with whatever the square root of 30.1 um, is, and then you finish it for him. You put down the weapon and he says, hello, Commander Shepard. And it's this most incredible moment of you sit there and you're like, oh my God, I saved his life and now he's come back. And this mission is now just that much more meaningful. Yeah. You sit there and there are consequences to your actions that reach further than just the gun that you happen to pick up that's great for DPS on our boss. You sit there and all of a sudden you are gifted with this moment where you had a tangible impact on the world and you feel the good that it does. And if it's any better, sure, David opens up a room and says, in that room, guns, lots of guns. (laughs) That's great too. But like... I sat there, and the minute my shepherd says thirty point one, I I was blown away because that was not what I was expecting out of this mission, and it was something that grounded me in the world and made me think I made good choices, man. Like it made me care. Agencies, I'm looking for, man. I'm looking to care about the world I'm in. Agency is hard to come by. Now I'm I'm never going to look at the Vitruvian Man again the same way. So a- agency is an interesting, interesting thing to talk about, especially in the context of Destiny, because you put out a video talking about why Destiny is called Destiny, mm-hmm. and 
just light to kind of adjust the winds of fate um, for lack of a, a simpler sentence. And so it's interesting to think about seeing the impact of that as a, as a budgetary add to the game. With that, as one last question, you have unlimited power. Now we're going the other way. Destiny 2, you believe it's at its height. You get to take one feature from it and you get to carry it with you off into any game to pull out of your back pocket and use. What game do you take with you to implant into other games? What feature? Hmm. Man, that's a really tough one. It's going to sound really weird coming from the law guy, um, <laughs> but I say you take the shooting of Destiny. Because oh. here's the thing, yeah. like Destiny as a world is fantastic, and the first thing that you experience when you pick up the Kavosh dog, um, uh, yeah, in the first mission of Destiny 1, is, man, this busted old rifle feels great to shoot, mm. right? And that's, like, it's your first point of contact whenever you're stepping into a game, you know? And it doesn't just speak to you from that aspect of, like, hey, this is great to shoot, but it also speaks to you of, you know, this gun is clearly old, and I wonder what the new stuff looks like. If it was anything generally, I'd say guns. I'd say the guns and the shooting of Destiny are just masterful, and they act as the very first real contact in the game from which everything else spills out, you know? Like, I, I, I hardly imagine that I could confirm anything like this, but when I sit there and look at Destiny, I find it hard to imagine that it didn't start with people looking at, like, you know, a pulse rifle or an auto rifle or an exotic hand cannon or something like that and saying, what, what world did this come from? And building it from there, you know? Like, you have the building blocks of the universe. You have darkness and light traveler and the city and the guardians and all this other stuff but when it comes down to what destiny viscerally is when you're doing your moment to moment stuff that moment to moment shooting and the gameplay that comes with it absolutely phenomenal you know based on this are the phenomenal uh moments that you can create in pvp you can build from here something beautiful such as what you can experience in a raid when you've mastered a mechanic like it all stems from one key point in the game and i think that's the shooting so I'd, I'd carry through. I can't argue with that. Uh, if I was going to, like, one of the things Chris and I have kind of talked about just is with the loading screens, especially if you're playing on console, like, I wish there was something more to do with the ship. Uh, if we could oh, shoot something, oh, yeah, yeah, if yeah, we yeah, could absolutely. just, because, like, yeah, you can manage your quest and you can look at your inventory and check your build. That's great that you can do that. But, man, like, it'd be great if while we're just sitting here, I, I could just be blasting something. I don't know. <laughs> I want my Normandy, dude. I, I want a Normandy back. Let's put it that way. I love the poetic nature of your exploration of Destiny. It's very different than my experience, where I just view it as one of the best shooters ever made. Like, like when I come back, when I quit Destiny, it was because of some choices that the studio was making. And mm -hmm. so then when I came back, everybody's like, well, what do you think of Destiny? Do you like it? And it's like, oh, it was always a good game. Like, it's always had good shooting. Uh, it's just a question of if everything surrounding it's as good. So on that note, we have, we have hit time uh, is there anything that you wish you'd said? Any final thoughts, Bife? And then where can they find you? Uh, final thoughts. Um, be patient with people. Uh, understand that no one is perfect. And if they are doing a particularly hard job and you maybe don't understand it all, do your due diligence to understand it and to access that knowledge. Because at the end of the day, knowledge is power and it is always important to have empathy along with it so that you can appropriately comment and act on a situation. Be mindful. It's kind of my go-to there. 
Chris, what are you so working much, on? He's so much, I don't know. <laughs> things he does is beautifully poetic, and I just feel like I'm walking around with like a hammer is my only tool. Uh, so I, I'm still I'm still working through games. It, I want to play more Destiny right now, so I can tell you that. Um, Brian, we got we got a lot of stuff coming down the pipe. We're going to uh, BlizzCon. Mm -hmm. We got a live letter coming out with Final Fantasy. This Friday. Patch. Um, lots going on in in the world of Final Fantasy and Destiny and, and gaming in general. So hopefully it's all good news and we can end this year on a high note. I know we've had some rocky areas with some of our maybe longtime favorite developers. And uh, I'd appreciate 2019 ending on a more positive note. Yeah, it's 2019. I thought 2019 was going to start off on a high note and it is just... <laughs> Uh, it's just like there's been some good things yeah, but like uh mario maker 2 shadow bringers was a really good strong launch mm -hmm. um you know there's been some really good high points but my goodness yeah like i'm i'm really hopeful the 2020s come come in uh come in real positive come in real strong i think they will i think there's some things to be excited about on the horizon i think one of the things that i'm working on I've been putting out my beginner and intro guides for Destiny. People seem to really be uh, responding to those positively, which is helpful because, uh, like, that's the whole point. Like, hey, guys, like, I get that you might not know what this stuff is. Let me just break it down for you. So I've still got plenty of guides and stuff. What's up? You're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, honestly, I was, wor I was worried because before we were doing content creation, like, I was, like, the two games that I just played religiously were Final Fantasy XIV and Destiny. And then we started doing content creation and then I left Destiny, which was really painful. Like it was like, I've put a lot of time. I've got a lot of friends that play this and I just can't support it. And so I've, I've maintained that I'm happy I left because it allowed me to send a message that I wasn't satisfied. And then they've been able to do things and I'm happy that I may have been able to return. And we've always said that if you're going to step away for any reason, you communicate it. And if they fix the reason in which that you left, you should check it out again because otherwise you're 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 only sending mixed messages, you know. And so we see that a lot. Like I'm never gonna, you know, I'm not gonna play this game until they add orcs, and then they go and add orcs, and you're like, well, uh, I'm not gonna play. Like it's like no, 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 no. Like you don't have to like stick with it, but you should at least, yeah. Like don't keep moving the goalposts, otherwise they're gonna just start not listening because they're gonna be like, well, we've lost them, you know. It's like I'm I'm not gonna try to try to even win them back, but. Yeah, I'm, I've got two videos I'm presently working on that are bigger videos. I'm doing a, a, a tier list ranking of the Final Fantasy IV, uh, Final Fantasy villains um, from the series, which I'm very excited about. Which, as an opinion piece, uh, is sure to get positive and negative reception, <laughs> as all opinions go. Um, and so I'm really excited about that. I don't know. I don't have an ET on that. Hopefully, before we go out to BlizzCon, I want to have that published. And then I'm also working on a massive, uh, massive review for the uh, Final Fantasy XIV, taking uh, people through my 10 years with it. And then I'm probably going to see about putting out a review on Destiny now that I've finished the campaign. But I want to get into the raid uh, and do a couple things before I actually put, uh, put pen to paper on talking about my experience with Shadowkeep. Because I actually agree with you, what you said earlier. It's a highlight for me, hands so down. Uh, B935 or 940 before you go in. Just so you know, because that's recommended power. And also it gives you this nice breadth to experience like everything that's going on in the game. Like yeah. do some nightmare hunts. Go I'm on. coming up on 925, so I'm not there yet. But as a, uh, a not full-time streamer, content creator, like I play when I play. I get my power for the week and, oh, you know, it's like, okay. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm really enjoying Iron Banner. 
and ultimately want to kind of you know continue to spend some more time with it so lots of things that i'm i'm looking forward to doing um if you guys missed the show last week uh we had tiny blue games on uh that show is live now go check it out uh a really great conversation with a great small creator who's coming up playing a lot of different mmorpgs has a really cool perspective uh next week again like we said we have comic storian coming back talk about patch 5.1 whether that is hands-on impressions or hype for 5.1. Uh, it depends on what day they release it. So check out that podcast uh, then. Uh, the following week, we've got Mioni on tap. So he's going to be coming on talking about some Final Fantasy XIV as well. And we'll have to try to get some more uh, of our Destiny guys. We had Datto. We've had, uh, we've had um, Rick Caucus. So we've had a lot of good representation with the Destiny community. Uh, Bife, I really appreciate you making time today. To come and talk and just be so poetic and so insightful uh, as to your experience with uh, Destiny and Shadowkeep and all that. But for Work to Game, my name is Brian. My name is Chris. Yes. And Vife, thank you so much. Thank you. No, we, we just we toss it out there. You guys have a great day. Thank you so much for watching and we'll see you next time. Take care.